First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. My friends, and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris. His name, as always, is Hayden Winks. And today, Hayden, one of my absolute favorite shows of the year. In our previous show, we did a a program last June where we made the case for players that no one wants to make the case for. And the top-tier talent of that group that we made the case for was Stefan Diggs. At that time, Stefan Diggs was going as the wide receiver 27. Think about that. This football bubble that we all live now, that we create during these off-season months, becomes impenetrable. Let's burst that today. Let's find the next Stefan Diggs, the next league winner among the names we're going to nominate and make the case for today, Hayden. Yeah, we're not going to be sheep today. Like we're getting a little bit away from ADP, and even even it doesn't even have to be away from ADP. You can just be like, get these guys at ADP, but don't be afraid to like draft these guys. That's it. This is something that you and I have talked about a lot. Football content out there is is amazing, but at some point, the football consciousness gets to a point where it's a shield, and and you can't break it. And I think it's because very little football happens. And Hayden, you and I have talked this, and especially today when we each are going to bring up four names. When you go back and watch these players, it immediately makes you reevaluate your opinion on them, your, your slotting of them, because you see things for better or for worse that you like more or less about them. So that's, again, what today's show is going to be. For one reason or another, these players are overlooked. They're underrated. Some of these cases, Hayden, I really strongly believe in. Some we buy maybe what the public believes, but we will also want to then shift our focus and shift the perspective and make the case for them of why they can be successful. Again, I have four, Hayden has four. We'll alternate, obviously, in the chat. If you're checking us out, be sure to like us and subscribe down below. This is going to be a great show. Hopefully, we shift some of your opinions as well and share some of your thoughts as we go along. All right, Hayden, you're up first. Who are making the case for that no one else wants to make the case for? David Montgomery, he was the RB9 in half PPR points per game last year on RB8 fantasy usage. Obviously, that was schedule-based. That was Tariq Cohen-based. But I think that he's now there's a, a, a pretty big discount where all of that stuff is priced in because he's being drafted around RB20 right now. But I think last year we saw an actual different David Montgomery. Number one, he was more explosive. He, was, he lost some weight. And then the Bears went to more outside zone stuff. There's more explosive plays 
there too. If Justin Fields is as good as what we think that he can be, then there's a, there's room for improvement for, for David Montgomery in that offense as well. The bigger thing here is Tariq Cohen. Tariq mm-hmm. Cohen's knee is not right. There was a couple pre- uh, um, reports coming out of OTAs about how his knee was pretty stiff. And this isn't that surprising. We're talking about a very small back, somebody that was in a very defined role initially. But even if you look back in 2019, it seemed like that that small, compact size was already catching up to him in the NFL. There was 66 running backs. He was 59th out of 66 running backs in elusiveness rating per PFF. So a smaller back out in space should be breaking a ton of tackles. He wasn't. And then if you look at yards after catch per reception, this should be a stat that Tariq Cohen dominates. And this is the only thing that he's good at in the NFL. He was 56 out of 57 running backs. This was prior to his ACL injury. So if the market is thinking that Tariq Cohen is going to be on all the third downs, then I think I want to play the upside case where if Cohen isn't ready for, for, for week one or if David Montgomery is just better. And if that's the case, he's going to beat uh, the RB 20 ADP. This is the RB dead zone. You have to be right. cognizant of that. But we just saw all of the running backs in this range on average drop five, six spots in ADP over the last seven days. Um, I think that David Montgomery, if you've missed out, if you only drafted one running back or you went with a zero RB build, I think David Montgomery in this range makes some sense. We're in this weird point of David Montgomery's career where I truly feel like the rookie season that he had might be the worst season of his career. And then now he's kind of being talked about and discussed as his second year might be the best one of his career and can never be matched again. Uh, maybe the answer is, is somewhere in the middle, but if you had to ask me like which of the two is, is the truth, say it's probably closer to his second season because we know coming out of school, he was fantastic at breaking tackles. He did that last year. I do believe the point that you're making of, well, the bears were kind of forced to use him in all of those roles. And maybe again, despite Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy making a few decisions that we like overall in totality, I don't necessarily believe in those two as making the correct decisions when they want them to, but if Tariq Cohen is the player that they continue to rely on, your point on him being healthy uh, or, or available is probably not the case. And then who have they brought in? It's it's mainly Damian Williams, who sat out of football last season. So if David Montgomery can remain productive and remain healthy, why would they want to take opportunities away from him? And that he's going after, I do understand it, though, like J.K. Dobbins, Chris Carson, Miles Sanders – making the case for him to be at the top of that tier, which I'm assuming that you're doing, that absolutely is a case to be made. Yeah, it, it's that group of guys. And I think that a couple of them, like someone like DeAndre Swift, I think you can make a case that like De- David Montgomery has the higher chance of being a three-down uh, back in a decent offense. And I think that his ceiling is a little more obtainable than someone like DeAndre Swift. So um, I, don't, I don't love David Montgomery, the player. I think that he might be a little bit undervalued. I think that last year there was actually reasons why he had a better season. It wasn't just purely schedule. And I just think this is more of an anti-Tariq Cohen uh, take than it is a pro-David Montgomery take, um, especially after the ADPs just moved. I and mean, we have to talk about this real quick. From RB13 to RB60 in the last 14 days, on average, all of them dropped six spots in ADP. And basically that same range, the wide receivers jumped four or five spots. So we just saw this huge shift. 
And that's making the David Montgomery price tag a little more obtainable, especially if this continues to slide where these running backs are dropping a couple spots. I think eventually that David Montgomery is a decent bet to return on value. I don't think he's going to win your league, but if you're looking for your second running back, if you started with like the hero RB approach, I think that David Montgomery makes some sense in those builds. You're getting the zap bark while you're talking about this. Zap is fully on board with you. Yeah, I'm looking at the total ADPs right now. Again, it's the DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins, Chris Carson, Miles Sanders tier above them. But while it kind of was a grouping before, now there are a bunch of wide receivers. Like if you have to take Dave Montgomery, you're taking them over Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts, Adam Thielen, T. Higgins at the moment. But I agree the momentum might continue to push him further and further down the board. Uh, can I start with the running back as Go well? There is a path to a potential top six season for Clyde Edwards-Alaire in his second year. He's being drafted, though, as the running back 15 after being drafted at the sixth overall spot last season. These are the players that Clyde Edwards-Alaire had a better yards uh, per carry after contact last season. Alvin Kamara, Mike Davis, Jonathan Taylor, Ezekiel Elliott, Cam Akers, Antonio Gibson, Joe Mixon, Josh Jacobs. Uh, That is fantastic for a player who is not having his where he wins model based on him winning after contact. In fact, he's a player that can create in the areas where you manufacture space for him, which I think we all agree that the Chiefs are going to be much better at with adding Joe Tooney, Orlando Brown, maybe even Creed Humphrey, who can also thrive in the receiving game. Well, last season he had 36 total receptions. I bet we see at least 55 receptions here for CEH in his second year. I think Hayden, it's because he was drafted so highly and had such high expectations during his rookie year. And he didn't match that. That is absolutely the case. But in those first six games of last season, he did average 21 touches and 113 yards and he had two spiked weeks. And then guess what happened? They signed Le'Veon Bell and everything kind of crumbled from there in terms of opportunity and then production to go along with his opportunities, and namely that the spike weeks disappeared as well. But if you just look at it on paper, a player who was very good after contact during his rookie season, who is tied to what we think can be a great offensive line, and namely the most bankable offense in the NFL, being drafted as running back 13, there is a path to a top six running back season for a CEH in his year two. That's the key part is when we're drafting running backs this high, they have to have the high end ceiling. And I think that his ceiling is more obtainable than someone like Najee Harris or Aaron Jones. I think that like, see, there's a chance if it's basically just, can he stay on third downs, which I think that we are expecting. That was like what we thought he was going to be coming into the league. And if he can convert a couple more touch goal line touchdowns. And I think that obviously when you bring in Orlando Brown and Tooney and you drafted a center, a big powerful center, I think the Chiefs saw CH was getting blown up on any short yardage situations and that bringing in these guys is going to help out um, CEH down in the red area. So I think that we should expect CH to score more touchdowns this year, probably catch a couple more passes. I knew he was a bust last year, but I don't think that his season was quite as bad. Um, just for, for the Chiefs standpoint, for fantasy, it was a disaster. But for the Chiefs standpoint, I think that he showed enough to not give up on him yet. Yeah, go back and watch him. There's like an 11-minute highlight tape on YouTube that starts with that opening game of last season against the Houston Texans. You see big plays. Uh, what you also see is him getting stuffed 
inside the 10 yard line, like Hayden is alluding to. And that really happened in week one. And they didn't really give him those opportunities as the season went along. 18 total opportunities inside the opponent's 10 yard line, which, you know, a majority of touchdowns are scored in the NFL. And that resulted in just two total touchdowns. This is just a situation where we try to get the running back on teams that are among the best in the league because you we know that you you create a lead by throwing and then you win games in the end after running right like that that's the formula for everyone it doesn't matter if it's the titans who do that too who are viewed as just a running team or or the chiefs and we don't have that player in here that can by name brand alone. And I, I truly feel like how, how can you get upset with the chiefs, what they did last year and then and, and, um, signing a Le'Veon Bell because he had the name brand quality. And obviously CEH started to deal with like a hip and an ankle and all these issues. CEH is a much better running back than Le'Veon Bell. He's a much better running back than a lot of other backs in this league. And I just don't think he was able to like hit his stride during that rookie season, because again, in those first six weeks of the season, Hayden, he had two spiked weeks, including the opening game, 138 yards and two touchdowns, excuse me, one touchdown. And then in that sixth game of the season, 26 carries, 161 yards, like no more of those spiked weeks, maybe get three, four, five more of them during his second season. The difficulty though, if I can pull myself away from this argument is like, who are you ranking him above? And in this dynamic, right? Because he's going at the end of that tier of like the Cam Akers, Antonio Gibson, Aaron Jones, Najee Harris. You and I will move him a few spots above there. I'm not saying I feel comfortable like putting him into the top 10, but a, a top 10 season is absolutely achievable. Yeah, that's the part. I'm not ranking him inside the top 10, but I think that he still deserves second round love because he has a top five overall ceiling. And if you're spending a second round pick on a running back, you need to shoot for the ceiling. So I think that his his ceiling is more obtainable than Najee Harris and Aaron Jones. That's why I have CH ranked ahead of him. I think that the um, Antonio Gibson versus CH is pretty interesting because I think they both have really high ceilings um, as three down backs with plus receiving skills. Um, but yeah, I think that's like the range that he deserves to to be in. And I think that just, I mean, you're getting the Chiefs running back and it's the Chiefs offense with less skill position stars than ever before. And look, I'm not saying he's Christian McCaffrey, but if you ever want to go back and look at the jump that Christian McCaffrey had during his rookie season and his second season after he was splitting time and after he wasn't, you also get a player in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire who broke records in the SEC in terms of catches out of the backfield at the running back position, who was also you know moved out wide in the slot during times during his rookie year. Look, he's not going to hit 113 targets but maybe again 55 receptions more consistent opportunities each and every week it's it's all there on paper um but again it's, it's also one of those pieces where some players above him might have to get injured as well okay two down six more to go everyone here thank you for being here subscribe like the video we're also on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. If you want to take us on the go, go and subscribe to the Underdog Football Show as where we're live here Monday through Thursday, 1230 Eastern on our YouTube channel. Hayden Winks, who else are we making the case for today? Alexander Madison. This is more of a game theory play. I mean, if you just look, Dalvin Cook had a playoff advance rate last year of 52%. You drafted Dalvin Cook in, in Best Ball Mania 1 last year, 
52% chance you're making it to the playoffs. So I'm not saying Alexander Madison is Dalvin Cook. I think that if Alexander Madison had the Dalvin Cook role, he would not have had a 52% advance rate. But it would be pretty high just because it's the way the, the Vikings offense is set up. And I think that the Vikings offensive line is even better this year. And I think that everyone, the reason why he's not being drafted as a, a top 150 player right now is because Alexander Madison flopped in the one opportunity that yeah. he had to be the starter or the two. I mean, he basically had 10, 10 carries for 26 yards and one reception. That was a very odd game. That was the game where the Falcons absolutely dominated the Vikings and Alexander Madison did not look good, but that was a one game sample. I would rather remove the one game sample or keep, keep the one game sample in there, but look at his career. He's averaging 4.6 yards per carry. That's a function of the Vikings offensive line. He was also fifth in elusiveness rating last year, eighth and 15 plus yard carry rate last year. So I think that Alexander Madison, if he, if something happened to Dalvin cook, he would be a functional uh, starter for for oh, the yeah. Vikings. He might not have the exact Dalvin Cook role, but ninety percent of that would get him into the top twelve discussion on a weekly basis. So the fact that he's being drafted well outside of or right outside the the top one fifty, I'm intrigued. Dalvin Cook literally was dominating, and if you can't, if you're drafting eighth overall, and Dalvin Cook has a season that he had last year, you are. It's hard to make the playoffs in your league. You need to have the game three play of okay. If Dalvin Cook gets hurt, that means that team's team is canceled, and my team gets the benefit. So I think that Alexander Madison um, should climb up a couple spots. I think he's one of the, the premier handcuffs in, in fantasy. Yeah, two discussions here. Let's talk about that running back insurance because I think a lot of people believe that when you draft Dalvin Cook, that means later on you're really the only team that should be attacking someone like Alexander Madison. That's not the case. Wrong. In fact, it's it's the opposite. So. If something happens to Dalvin Cook and then you have this value much later on in, in Alexander Madison, then you're expanding your portfolio with multiple backfields and one that if the outcome is what it hits in the perfect way, then you have the top runners and two of the best rushing offenses in the NFL, not just singularly spending two roster spots on one backfield. Yes. Yeah. If you, if you're, if you draft a Dalvin Cook, Dalvin Cook gets hurt. You're screwed. Like, I'm sorry, you're screwed. The, well, right. This is just fantasy football. But if you drafted Joe Mixon, Austin Eckler at the turn, you didn't draft another running back, and then you drafted Alexander Madison with your 150th overall pick, and Dalvin Cook gets hurt, now guess what? You got three bell cows. You're sitting really pretty. That's <laughs> yeah. the upside case with Alexander Madison. So it's not even whether or not Alexander Madison's that good. I think he's going to have the 80%, 90% Dalvin Cook role in the event of an injury. And oh, by the way, Dalvin Cook's shoulder has popped in and out all the time and he's had a torn ACL in this past and he gets the rock a billion times per season. So if, if you're ranking the the running backs of who's most likely to get hurt, Dalvin cook would be somewhere near the top of that list, just based off of usage and previous injury rates in the past. So um, this is a, this is a pure play upside play. If you want to pair him with uh, a Gus Edwards plus uh, Alexander Madison, you get a, a little more safer floor with your other backup running backs, And then you go for the ceiling with Alexander Madison. I think that makes a lot of sense here. He's going after a bunch of other running back insurance players and Gus Edwards and Daryl Henderson and Kenyon Drake and A.J. Dillon and Latavius Murray. I can keep going down this list. Devin Singletary is going ahead of him. Um, I also think that we kind of ruin the narratives of someone like Alexander Madison. When Mike Boone is another example of this. When we get like preseason, we're like, oh, if he only gets an opportunity, he can smash. And then it's so 
you know, random and high variance in those singular game samples of like, oh, it's finally here. He's cheap on DFS. He's, you know, you draft him late and you're, this is why you use him. And then he doesn't hit. And then people just sour on him because yep. of that. Because they don't really get into the detail. But I'm with you. I think Alexander Madison's extremely talented. He's someone who is aggressive on contact. He's a powerful running back and create yards on his own. And in that system, like you're talking about, it has allowed so many random names to have productive weeks or seasons. Heck, go back to like the Mike Shanahan's, Mike Anderson's, the Ruben Drones, the Orlando's Gary's. Just throw Alexander Madison on the end of that list. And that can absolutely happen this year. I'm with you because the system we believe in, and I even believe in the player a little bit. All right. We've hit on a bunch of running backs. Uh, how about a wide receiver? And one who is being absolutely disrespected by everyone, including me. But let's change that today. A.J. Green is being drafted as the wide receiver 79. 79. And it makes sense based on last season if you want to perceive it in that way. Because last year, A.J. Green was the least efficient wide receiver in the entire NFL. Like 130th in efficiency. Um. But guess what? He's going to play a boatload of snaps for the Arizona Cardinals on a team that really could not be more different than what the Cincinnati Bengals put that out there last year. Yes, you got about 12 weeks of Joe Burrow, and I would say even watching, which I did for all of you, all of A.J. Green's targets last season, Joe Burrow wasn't extremely accurate when throwing to A.J. Green in certain parts of the field. And yes, A.J. Green certainly doesn't move as well as he used to, especially in outside breaking routes and vertical routes. But everything cutting inside, he still creates separation. He's been one of the best wide receivers of the entire decade. And so while Christian Kirk last year finished as wide receiver 52, saw 79 targets, Larry Fitzgerald saw 72 targets. If A.J. Green gets in that 72, 75, 85 range, Hayden, he's going to be closer to like wide receiver 55 than he is wide receiver 79. I think AJ Green's going to play more snaps than Christian Kirk. That might be a little bit of a bold Kate or bold take, but I, I believe it. They, look at the Cardinals contract they gave to AJ Green. They gave him legit, like low end starting money, and they had attack on void years, multiple void years to make him fit. So he was a priority for them. So whether we believe him or not, the Cardinals do, and I think that he's going to be the second outside receiver um, in three receiver sets. He's obviously going to be on the field in four receiver sets, um, but I think he's going to be the outside receiver. He's going to be extremely volatile. That's totally fine. Even if he's pretty bad, I think the targets will be there enough to justify this price tag. Everything about A.J. Green's season last year is priced in. The only There's a little bit of an upset case if uh, he needed a year to get back into shape, if he's like trying more in Arizona on a team that's not like the Bengals. Maybe that's something. Uh, so I, I don't know. Like, obviously, I'm, I'm not touting AJ Green that he's like some good player anymore. But I think the, the volume is going to be there. And there's a there's it's all upside from here. If you strike out on your 15th, 16th round pick, so be it. Uh, hey, we need to dig into a football player psyche for a minute, because I think this absolutely plays a factor. Did you? He obviously wanted to leave the Bengals. He's just not one of these outspoken people who there are so many across the league, especially with social media now, you know their feelings on things. AJ Green has always been a quiet person. But if you show up with a team that is obviously rebuilding, that was never going to win the, the AFC North, and Joe Burrow, while he certainly did some positive, he was far from perfect. It wasn't like Justin Herbert 
throwing the football out there. And then when Joe Burrow gets hurt, you go on over to Ryan Finley and, and who's, who's the other, uh, he was the quarterback. Um, oh gosh, Brandon, Brandon Allen. Allen. There Brandon we go. Allen. Brandon Allen is the other one. Uh, yeah. Think of if you're a normal person and you hate your workplace because of all the people you work around, you can leave. <laughs> like that's, that's a situation that happens in everyone else's career. And AJ Green was unable to do that. It absolutely impacted his game last season. And Hey, if we can even like wonder what the Cardinals want to be this year, DeAndre Hopkins had 160 targets last season. Is that possible again? Absolutely. But to the point of 79 and 72 targets for Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald, we firmly believe that both of their snap counts last year, AJ Green is going to equal, if not play more than those. And he just simply put, I don't know math like you. He just can't be as bad as last year. Like it's going to regress somewhat closer to what he's normally been. It's just impossible for him to be the least efficient wide receiver in the NFL. Once again, we'll see about that regression, but uh, I mean, it's just, it's when you're looking for late round picks at wide receiver who pays off ADPs, it's usually rookies. And the other person is just starters. Like the thing that, that people overthink is they're looking for the, like the fourth receiver on a team or the, the third receiver that's going to be in a fat rotation. And like, Oh, I think that he might be good. No, it, when it, when in doubt in the last couple rounds, just draft the guy that's going to be a starter. Like someone like Marquez Valdez-Scanling last year was a starter, locked into a starter. We all thought he was bad. And then he had a couple of big games and that's all you need. I think that there's enough gas in the tank for AJ Green to have a couple 50 yards and a touchdown weeks. Like that's all you need for him. And I think that he's going to have all the opportunity. I just couldn't believe the Cardinals gave him void years. They gave him a starter money yeah, and a void priority. years. definitely a priority he's gonna play i think that they're souring on christian kirk if anybody in this offense well and andy isabella is gonna get cut or or moved like that that era is done all the negatives are baked in here heavily heavily for aj green he had the same fancy points per game last season as michael Pittman, more than henry ruggs these are players we talk positively about because we think they're on the ascension of their career again it's impossible for AJ Green to go go lower than he was last year. It's only it's only up. These are positive cases we're making for players again that no one wants to make the case for. Okay, four down, four to go. Who else is on your list, Hayden? Kenyon Drake. This year he has the thirteenth most guaranteed money of any running back, eleven point five million dollars. And what's key here is he has um, the, the Raiders can't cut him next year either. Like he's on the team for two more years, just the way his contract is, is structured. The Raiders, like A.J. Green with the Cardinals, made Kenyon Drake a priority. Kenyon Drake was one of the worst running backs in the NFL last year because of his foot and ankle injury. That's just he's better than what he played like last year. But the fact is he was one of the worst running backs. That's why he's down this far. If you look at everything that Derek Carr said about Kenyon Drake, what Kenyon Drake is saying about his own role, he thinks that he's going to play all the all the third downs, and that's kind of the role that he was playing in college for a little bit. I think that they're serious about that. They've used like Jalen Richard and these types of guys in this role before, and the wide receiver depth chart is pretty lacking. I think that Kenyon Drake is legit going to get designed stuff in the past game. So there's going to be a couple weeks where he's even with Josh Jacobs being healthy that he'll have a couple best ball uh, starting lineup weeks, but he's also has shown that he could be a three down back. And if something happened to Josh Jacobs, like Dalvin cook with serious shoulder injuries and has been playing through a bunch of injuries, if something happened to Josh Jacobs, all of a sudden you have 
a three down back and a, a functional offense, not a great offense, but a functional offense. I think that you're getting the best of both worlds a couple weeks as a, a third down back and the upside of uh, a Josh Jacobs injury where he's all of a sudden now being ranked inside the top 20. There's a couple layers to this that I want to unpack. First, a name I was going to nominate for the show is also Josh Jacobs. Uh, so let's be honest about that. But we didn't want to do two Raiders backs because uh, we would have to end the program immediately. Uh, but <laughs> what, what I'm somewhat intrigued by with this entire backfield is that when John Gruden forced Mike Mayak to confront the media after they drafted Alex Leatherwood ahead of everyone else, he said, point blank, our goal is to be a power running team with Josh Jacobs. That's what we want to do. Um, fun. Great. Sure. Maybe that can be successful. Uh, I really like Josh Jacobs. I've always thought that there's like some untapped potential there with his receiving ability because whenever he gets those opportunities, he, he can be good in that area. But as what you've pointed out, like Jalen Richard has had upside as a receiving back in this offense. Uh, some other players have as well. And Kenyon Drake, if we talk about priorities, we know how these teams tell the truth. It's through their draft picks. It's through their wallets. And I mentioned previously with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, he only had 18 opportunities inside the 10-yard line last year. Kenyon Drake had 35 carries inside the 10-yard line last season and was super productive in that area. So he's going to have a role immediately. So we, I don't even put him necessarily with the other running back insurance types because he's going to have a role no matter what. But that role can only be expanded because of an injury ahead of him to an identity of the team's offense, which is Josh Jacobs. If you just compare him to someone like Gus Edwards, if J.K. Dobbins gets hurt and or Josh Jacobs get hurt, I think that Kenyon Drake's ceiling would be higher. I think just, the money shows that. I think that we've seen Kenyon Drake actually have a three-down role. Um, so that's kind of what the, the ceiling play is with him. And even if that didn't happen, uh, Drake would give you some 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 serviceable weeks. Here's the other thing for you, Josh. This is the spin zone here. This was a secretly a James Conner propaganda tw- uh, part about this too. Ready for this? Last year, Kenyon Drake, first round pick, right on the one-two border, stunk up the joint. He still had a 20% win rate despite having that role. He was really bad in it, and he still had a 20% advance rate. The average is 22%, so he basically broke even. James Conner is being drafted 100 picks later than where Kenyon Drake was being drafted last year. Even if he doesn't have the full Kenyon Drake role, that's a massive discount. There's a ceiling to chase there, too. So uh, Kenyon Drake wasn't good last year. James Conner wasn't that good either. But the, the difference is is this wide. I, I can't get behind that. I can't believe you just Trojan horsed James Conner into this conversation because I've, I've tried to stiff arm you for it for, for months now. Uh, but you did it. Congratulations. It's a, it's it's one of my best takes. So the James Connors take, it, there's a ceiling to chase there. And I think like Kenyon Drake, there will be some serviceable weeks. He's being drafted after a pick of 100 right now. Like if, if Chase Edmond gets hurt, James Connors has been a third down back. And we've seen this offense. We were drafting Kenyon Drake in the first round for this role. This is an offense that's very functional on the ground here. I He's being drafted like pick 112. We need a social graphic that just says uh, – the James Conner take is one of my best takes. It is. With, it is one of my best in, takes. In, in quotations. Uh, hey, we are very much on watch the tape lately. Like, team watch the tape. Go back and watch James Conner last year because he was absolutely okay. I, I will. And then I'll watch Kenyon Drake. And yeah. Kenyon Drake was still a top 20 and, and half point PR, uh, half PPR per game. He was still a top 20 back. And he was one of the worst running backs in the league. So you're not asking for, like, a great season out of James Conner. If he can be an average season, there's, there's, there's room. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Next. 
Next, uh, let's go to a player who, when I went back and watched him, moved him up multiple spots. And I truly feel that the football collective is down once again on the forever underrated Will Fuller because of the offense he now finds himself in. Last year's wide receiver eight in fantasy points per game in Will Fuller is being drafted as the wide receiver 40 this season. He immediately is the best player on the Dolphins' offense, period. That is a fact. It is indisputable. Unless you have some massive projection for Jalen Waddell and you think he's going to post the type of game. I'm not even talking about production. What Will Fuller put out on the field last year for the Texans was sensational. It was incredible. And we forget it because he didn't play the final few weeks of last season. And once again, we get the PED, you know, drop in rates right now with with Will Fuller because he's going to miss a game to open the season. Um, Look, Will Fuller last year was used a little bit differently, Hayden. I know you've gone back and watched him too. He had an A dot of 13.3, which was a, a career low. That's fine. It also turned out to be a career year in production. Now, only one player had an A dot of over, I think, 11 yards last season on, on the Dolphins. New offense. But also, I'm totally cool if Will Fuller drops his A dot to 11 this year because he also turned out to be an awesome yards after catch players last season like he's a short to intermediate and vertical player people still view him and pigeonhole him as just a vertical playmaker Hayden he's so much more than that Will Fuller is a complete wide receiver and is the number one wide receiver on the Dolphins deep crossing routes is where he made so much so many yards after after the catch last year he was he was so explosive. He's one of the most explosive wide receivers in the game. Uh, he was number six in uh, yards per route run versus man coverage. And then he was a top 36 in it against zone too. So he was dominating both sides of the ball. I'm with you. I think uh, Jalen Waddle would have to be really, really good to be better than Will Fuller uh, as a rookie. Um, I don't love the, the the pairing with Tua, but if Tua, if like they just keep preaching in, in OTAs and all the offseason stuff that Tua has to be more aggressive or he's going to bust. And I think that's actually true Tua needs to be more aggressive. Um, this is where Will Fuller helps in that intermediate range, a couple more deep shots from Tua. That would be helpful. The one question, Josh is how long, how long do you, are the effects of the PEDs in, in the muscles? Is it like, if you, if you juiced up, could we still get the PED Will Fuller? We'll take the one game suspension. If we get the explosiveness and the strength of Will Fuller this year, I need to do some research on how long PEDs, stay in the bloodstream because we need, we need a juiced up Will Fuller. Maybe that's a long running bit of our show. Uh, look, I actually think Will Fuller is a superstar talent. It just hasn't worked out for him because of injuries in the past. And yes, obviously as his quarterback with the Texans is much better than Tua has shown so far, but if we can pick up pieces, cause Tua's career is, is basically halves of game for half a season. Like that's what we have so far. Tua was making downfield throws at Alabama. You know, he had great yeah. downfield players and Jerry Judy and, and Henry Ruggs and many Devontae, like lots of good downfield playmakers that he could get the football to. Um, you're getting a PED discount once again for the best offensive player on an offense that we expect to be middle of the road. Don't we hate like this isn't, you know, Brandon Cooks on the worst offense in the NFL that you're getting in the 40s at wide receiver. You're getting the number one pass catcher on a team at wide receiver 40. 
That simply does not happen. And if you somehow, like, if the football collective in this moment is right, and Will Fuller is not great with this new fit or coming off of whatever, then who cares if you miss on your wide receiver four? You know, like you're drafting him as your wide receiver four right now. Move on. But the upside, once again, is a top 15, heck, wide receiver eight last season in fantasy points per game. And you're getting that at a ridiculous discount right now. He's one of those players that I truly moved up seven spots at his position, just going back and watching him last year because it was so much better than even I remembered. And he fits in builds for the puppy and for best ball mania too, just because two is pretty cheap. And obviously if two has a big season, Will Fuller's going to have a big season and kind of vice versa. So I think that he fits perfectly as a second secondary stack. If you've already stacked the Cowboys, then you go grab Will Fuller shortly after that and then wrap around with two as your second quarterback. So I think he fits in builds like in, in a vacuum as well. It's not just a player take. I mean, there's so many wide receivers going ahead of him that just have baked in questions too, yet they're not being factored in nearly as much as as Will Fuller's. I mean, DJ Chark is going seven spots ahead of him at the wide receiver position. Heck, another wide receiver on the Jaguars is going two spots ahead of him. We've talked about, you know, Jerry Judy and and, and Colton Sutton, both of those wide receivers going nine or ten spots ahead of him. Juju Smith-Schuster, like... Remember the headache that he gave you last year? Just what did you like more? Watching Will Fuller tear up defenses last year or the headache that Ben Roethlisberger with nothing has changed and that Chase Claypool might take another step forward and Deontay Johnson might take more catches this year. Will Fuller is an extreme value at the moment. I think his ADP is going to shift the closer we get. Peyton. That's we just sure. need to do. We need to do the PED research. That's that's the one thing we have to do after the show. Or maybe just preseason practice and, and it shows that he's just tearing up. A great defense. Okay. Two more. Let's make him good, Hayden. Jameis Winston. So obviously oh, we know this. we we know things didn't go that great in 2019 through 30 interceptions. Here's I'm gonna tell you why that it wasn't that bad. Uh if you look at Bruce Arians historically in the first season, those quarterbacks throw a ton of interceptions. In 2001 with Tim Couch, career high 21 interceptions. 2012, Andrew Luck, career-high, 18 interceptions. 2013, with Carson Palmer, career-high, 22 interceptions. And then Jameis Winston threw a career-high, 30 interceptions. Jameis Winston struggles with seeing the field, making decisions, and that's how he gets in trouble. I think that there's a chance that Sean Payton could fix a little bit of that. He's still going to be turnover-prone, but I think that Sean Payton, another year in the system, I think that Sean Payton's betting on Jameis Winston because the arm talent is there 100%. He's a very accurate thrower. It's just the decision-making. I think that if you're going to pick head coaches on who's going to fix that, I think Sean Payton would be really high on that list. So um, he's being drafted very late. My favorite part about the Jameis Winston thing is because Taysom Hill is a threat, and if Taysom Hill is the quarterback, he affects the entire offense just because he becomes a fantasy focus and not an Alvin Kamara. If you're drafting Alvin Kamara at a slight discount, if you're drafting Michael Thomas at a slight discount, yes. the uh, uh, Traquan – Callaway, uh, uh, Troutman, Troutman, you can pair Jameis Winston with one of those guys. And all those guys are their ADPs slightly suppressed because Taysom Hill is a threat. And if Taysom Hill's starting, then it's going to be harder for Troutman to break out. But that little discount, you could take advantage of it. If you're just assuming that Jameis Winston's going to be the starter. So I think games theory, this makes sense. I think that this is a bet on Sean Payton when in doubt bet on Sean Payton. And I think that just things will work out. He doesn't have to be a top 15 quarterback. If he's the quarterback 18, you've won. 
Yes. I mean, because he's being drafted as the quarterback 25. Uh, and then last time he was a full-time starter, he was the quarterback five in fantasy points per game. Now, that was obviously when he also threw 30 interceptions in a single season. I, the main question here is just how much patience is Sean Payton going to have? Or has he already done enough coaching along with Drew Brees that that type of game is eliminated from Jameis' style? Or I'm not going to say eliminated. Maybe maybe depressed a little bit, right? 15 interceptions. Yeah, I'm sure they can live with that. Maybe even 20. They, they can live with that. I, another major part of that, and if you go back and think about those Bucs teams, yes, it was Chris Godwin. Yes, it was Mike Evans. Awesome. Awesome players. But that offensive line was nowhere to as talented from start of the season to end the season as what Tom Brady had last season. Yes, Tom made it better, I'm sure, with his pre and post-snap reads and, and just you know uh, forcing certain blocking assignments and having the knowledge base for that. But also Tristan Wirfs was maybe one of the best young right tackles in the league, if not the best young tackle in the right league immediately from his rookie season. And we know that the Saints have on paper a top five unit along the offensive line. So a little bit of patience. All that we can hope for, Hayden, is that Jameis doesn't go out there and start with a two-interception game followed by a three-interception game, and then they trot out Taysom out there for, like, what that is, right? What we're hoping for is single interception, single turnover contests, because you know how I feel. I think a a top seven wide receiver season for Michael Thomas is in line, and this rhetoric that they don't fit together, it's absolutely false. Because a quarterback who can hit short to intermediate play inside of structure, who a wide receiver who can maybe even elongate his little bit more, his game, and then one that we've forgotten how good he is, I think the pairing is actually really, really quite nice. I mean, it, you're ta- we're talking about a top, top, top level prospect quarterback that had a good season at Florida State. He can throw a slant route. I'm pretty sure he can throw a slant route. Uh, I'm not worried about the small samples of the slant routes. And I think that Michael Thomas also is not just a slant boy. I think that he can win intermediate too. So um, all of that. And the, the the Saints defense is really good too. It's not like James is going to be like in 35 to 40 games where he's throwing all these interceptions. I think it's going to be a more controlled Jameis. That's going to take a little bit of the ceiling away, but I think that there's a, a decent chance that he kind of has that middle ground as a, a weekly quarterback too, just because Sean Payton's going to reel him in. Jameis understands now he doesn't have to win these crazy shootouts behind a bad offensive line with a bad defense. Yep. The Saints, just it's just such a better environment uh, than the Bucks were a couple years ago. Yeah, I got him as my quarterback three as the quarterback 33 in Scott Fishbowl, and I feel uh, really, really good about that, despite obviously the interceptions being an important part of that scoring. All right, before I give my final one, and we're not there in the chat, one, thank you for being here. And if you want to share yours, maybe we can go through some, some of them at the end of the show. Uh, again, we're live on YouTube every single Monday through Thursday, 1230 Eastern. Tuesdays are drafts. Tomorrow's going to be with Eric Beim for, and then Thursday is the giveaway gauntlet. Um, always super fun shows. And again, thanks everyone for being here. Like and subscribe below. Okay, let's close out here, Hayden. A lot of people are getting excited about Trey Sermon with the San Francisco 49ers. You and I are too. You and I were pre-draft Trey Sermon fans and post-draft Trey Sermon fans. I'm here to make the case, though, for the other running back, the man that has been forgotten, Raheem Mostert, who's being drafted as running back 29. Trey Sermon is being drafted ahead of him, I think one spot at running back 28 around there. And so he's being drafted like he's a uh, he's a complete product. He's He's the finished package. He's one that's proven already. What if he's not? We've seen a lot of running backs, Hayden, drafted early, even by Kyle Shanahan, 
not be immediately great. Guess what? Raheem Mostert is the most explosive running back in the NFL from stop to start, period. And he has shown it in playoff games where he had 220 yards against the Green Bay Packers and four touchdowns, which, which Sean McVay and, and Kyle Shanahan recently talked about and said, well, Jimmy only threw eight passes that game. Everyone crapped on him for it. Well, it's because Raheem Mostert is such a stud that when you're running like that, you don't have to throw the football. And just the reason why Raheem Mostert didn't hit last year when it was all lined up, injuries. That is it because he would have 15 touches, 85 total yards, and nearly a half touchdown per game when he was somewhat healthy last season. I think if he starts off strong, if Trey Sermon goes slow to open his rookie year, then Raheem Mostert can absolutely hit as a top 24 running back this season. I think the 49ers are going to use this as a legit committee, and then maybe Trey Sermon or maybe Raheem Mostert just proves to be way better or an injury happens. But I see like a fire and ice situation here where Raheem Mostert is clearly the more explosive back and more of these like fancy designed outside zone runs is going to be where um, Raheem Mostert comes off to like average like five, six yards per carry. And then Trey Sermon is going to do a lot more of the dirty work, be the goal line back because he's 220 pounds. He's six one. He's much bigger than Raheem Mostert. So I think that there's paths to both of them having weekly ceilings and having season long ceilings as well in the event of an injury. I can definitely see Shanahan using both backs pretty evenly and not yep. using really a third back and just letting these two guys ride out. I have Sermon, I think, one spot ahead of Raheem Mostert, but I would be willing to draft both in different types of builds. I think that Trey Sermon has a, a little higher ceiling just because I think he has a higher chance of being the goal line back, and that's really the role we're going after. But that, this is not a, a, an anti-Raheem Mostert account. Before, I was a Trey Sermon truther. Yeah. I was a Raheem <laughs> Mostert truther. Uh, I, just, I just see it coming where the, the 49ers aren't committed to any, anybody except Trey Sermon, and I think by the end of the season, uh, Trey Sermon could have like a, a Jonathan Taylor type a surgeons at the end of the year. And I think that's why he's, um, I mean, he's being priced. I think, I think both backs are being priced pretty appropriately. Yeah. Let me break kayfabe here and say, I really like Trey Sermon, you know, like this isn't me trying to say, Oh, you should draft for he most over him. I really like both is what I'm saying. And if we can again view from the context of what the 49ers want to be, you know, when they had arguably the best, most complete team in the NFL in, in 2019, they were second in the NFL just behind the Ravens in carries per game and rushes per game at 32. Last year, that dipped by five per contest, and they were like right in the middle of the pack at 14th in the NFL. But that was for a, you know, a wide range of topics. It is so clear by all of his actions that Kyle believes that they can get back to what they were in 2019. So I, I wouldn't be shocked at all if we get, you know, 30, 32 carries per contest for the 49ers this year. Now, maybe two to four of them are also from Trey Lance, which changes some things as well. But I think in that model, we can predict 12 to 14 touches for he Mostert, who I think on those angle routes is an absolute menace against linebackers and better than Trey Sermon, who had 30 total catches during his three seasons of college football. If, if I were to poke a hole in this impenetrable argument that I'm making, Hayden, one would be that he does have a totally different skill set than anyone on the 49ers, and they probably want to have that skill set at the end of, of the season where 
He has this home run hitter that Trey Sermon has not. So maybe they do give him just around 10 touches per game. So we, they know he's healthy towards the end of last year. Because, again, you can get by with a Jeff Wilson. Maybe you can get by with like a Eli Mitchell. Trey Sermon, we think, is more talented than both those names. But Raheem Mostert adds a different trump card than anyone else in that roster. Yeah, 100%. He's way different than Trey Sermon. I think that Raheem Mostert and Trey Sermon are both good runners. And I think they're both scheme fits. But I think that... Kyle Shanahan is going to design one type of play for Raheem Mostert and one type of play for Trey Sermon. And I think that either of them could have ceilings. Cause like Raheem Mostert like will rip off like a 60 yard touchdown. Like that happens. Like we can bank on that happening. It always happens in this system. And I think that Trey Sermon, there's a chance that if I was going to bet on it, like, who's going to have more games with uh, 15 to 20 carries in a game, I would be betting on Trey Sermon. If I'm betting on who's going to have more 40 yard touchdowns, I would be betting on Raheem Mostert. That makes both of them, uh, reasonable picks in this range. Just don't draft them together on the same team. Like obviously, yeah. that's that's obvious. So, some of those runs. I mean, even watching the highlights of last year, Hayden, like how he opened the season, just running away from defenders who have take these normal angles. Like again, like you're saying, those 40 yard touchdowns are in his wheelhouse. Those 55 yard touchdowns are in his wheelhouse. Uh, he's like the Marquez Valdez Scantling of running backs. Uh, just in terms, again, I think he truly is the most explosive running back in the NFL. And yes, the price is high, but I also think it can be even higher if we see slow starters of what other players they might be relying on early. And in both, the and real quick, both both Trey Sermon and Raheem Mostert, they they're both good. They also have had like some injuries too, especially yes. like Raheem Mostert being a little older and being smaller. Like he had, there's a reasonable chance Raheem Mostert gets hurt, and Trey Sermon has had a pretty lengthy injury history too. So um, if one of the, one thing happens to one of the backs, the other one obviously would be vaulted into like the, the RB2 discussion. Right now, they're sitting right outside of that. I think that's reasonable. I think both of them have maybe not like top 10 ceilings, but like top 15, top 20 running back ceilings. I think that's totally fair. All right. That's going to wrap it up for us. I implore everyone out there, and I think many of you enjoyed it. I got some great comments. Um, second year breakout players. So many people focus on rookies right now that we just did a show last week on ones that can make a major jump headline by, you know, Michael Pittman, Darnell Mooney, Jerry Judy. We did the opposite. Maybe put some perspective into the likes of Gabe Davis and a few other names, Jalen Rager. Um, so go and watch or listen to that show in your podcast feed and be sure to be back with us tomorrow, a live draft with Eric Bynford. We're getting closer and closer to training camp closer and closer to preseason. We see ADPs move all the time. We're about to have some like real actionable info. We want all of you to be there with us. Obviously Hayden and myself have quarterback, running back, tight end, wide receiver rankings. They're on underblog.underdogfantasy.com. You can upload them to underdog, win some money. Speaking of money, $25 free when you use promo code, the show enter the puppy five times. Cause you better do it today because it might be closed tomorrow because you guys are absolute savages and fill that thing basically at 55% in seven days. You're complete, complete maniacs in the best way possible. All right, we're out of here. We'll see you tomorrow. For Hayden Winks, I am Josh Norris up the villa. Talk to you all soon. See ya. 